0: Hi, I'm Chinny
1: And I'm Astrid.
0: And welcome to It's the Continent, the podcast that widens access to African history. We're also the co-authors of the book by the same name. You can find out more information about us on itsacontinent.com. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and appreciate the identity of each nation. And through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello, and welcome to another episode of It's a Continent. How's it going? Yeah, we are back with, in 2023. Oh yeah, it's, I keep what happens to be like, no, it is actually 2023. I still write 2022 on stuff, but no, by the time this comes out, it's February. We are firmly, you know, the trial month is over. We are now officially in 2023. Yeah, we can't take it back. It's well on its way. I feel like my bag's under <laughs> The bags my under eyes my are definitely... eyes are they are getting I'm thinking it's time to get creams because yeah
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah no honestly it's become they like are... let me find a decent eye cream because yeah. wow it's, wow
0: it's not looking good
1: <laughs> but um yeah no we are back this is the second half of season
0: six yes and let's do this this week we're in Chad for African Pride where Delphine Dijrabe one of the first female lawyers in her country, has won the Martin Ennels Award for Human Rights Defenders. In a statement, the award jury chair, Hans Thulen, said, courage, passion, and determination to bring the voice of the voiceless to the international arena, despite the ongoing, sometimes life-threatening challenges they endure, was the winning factor between Delphine and two other winners, jailed Kashmiri rights activist Kiran Parvez and Feliciano Reina, a human rights activist from Venezuela. The awards ceremony will take place in Geneva on the 16th of February. For over 30 years, Delphine de Jirabe challenged authorities to secure basic rights for all Chadians, including the right to life, justice, freedom of opinion, food, education and health, a statement by the organizers said. She's also renowned for initiating the prosecution of Chad's former dictator, Hissene Habre, who was convicted for war crimes after 14 years in 2016. Wow. Delfine is out here securing she basic is... rights in
1: every single area you could possibly think of. And bringing down a former dictator. And so. bringing, yeah. <laughs> We're noting that down, potential next episode. <laughs> but no, this is such good. And also to be the first female lawyer in her country, honestly. Yeah. No, um, that is... Yeah, we
0: love to see it. We love it. So this week's topic is about another incredible African woman who fought ardently for her belief in independence from imperial power. You may not have come across André Bluon's name before, which may be because of her status as a woman. We know history is not kind to African women. We're going through different countries this week, from Belgian Congo to Guinea and the eventual Democratic Republic of Congo. So you decided to do three countries
1: in one episode, Jenny. (laughs)
0: Look, this is how colonialism (laughs) just blurs the the boundaries between countries. So now we're talking about several. (laughs) André Bluon was born in 1921, just over 100 years ago, to Josephine, a 14-year-old Banziri girl from the Quango region and a French colonial businessman, Pierre Gabilat, who was in his 40s. If you were a child of a white father and a black mother, you'd be placed in a boarding school, separated from the other black children, and receive a rudimentary education by mainly being taught how to sew. I feel like rudimentary education,
1: it's being <laughs> taught how to sew.
0: It's I mean, the only skill you it's need. A,
1: it's a value, yeah, it's the only skill you need.
0: the equivalent of training in cyber. So, you know, this... <laughs> mm. Fatima is retraining in sewing.
1: <laughs> yeah, at a basic level, you just need to be able to sew. That'll get you through everything in life. You know, not, not the ability to read or write, but hey, oh,
0: yeah, no, who needs that? It was a deliberate effort, really, to hold certain groups uh, back from progressing in society. Yeah, no, definitely. Orphanages were built to hide evidence of European crimes of men taking advantage of African women. So essentially, what happened here in this case. Mm. In her autobiography, Bluant referred to this as an orphanage prison and a punishment for being born of a white father and a black mother. Of course, the orphanage embodied the contradictions seen in racial ideologies of Europeans and the ideas of assimilation. Colonisers saw those of mixed heritage as superior to Africans and wanted to create good servants in what they termed a third species intermediate race. So, Sorry, this is used to describe human beings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: a third, a third as if it's some kind of bird like it's just very just the and it's the fact that she herself
1: recognized that she I think you said she describes it as a punishment she recognized like her being placed in that orphanage was a sign of a punishment because actually of because of her identity
0: yeah I note as well it's always between a black woman and a white man just to show the sort of power dynamics behind these kind of relationships that you know resulted in these children colonizers saw those of mixed heritage as superior to africans and wanted to create good servants in what they termed a third species intermediate race that would be complicit in european conquest but remain in contact with the local population the ultimate plan of colonial authorities was to arrange marriages to mixed heritage men and the couples would live in a segregated village. This was because authorities believed that if the children had a happy childhood but were forced to become labourers in adulthood, they would become potential communists. So this is how desperate they didn't want people to turn to communism. Mm. It just give people unhappy childhoods because unhappy then they childhood. would become communists. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. The girls in the orphanages were served rotten food and regularly went to bed hungry. Their European fathers often abandoned them and visits from their mothers could only happen with their father's permission. Again, that's that like
1: power dynamics in play, isn't it? Your mum can't visit you unless your dad gives permission. Like, the dad that
0: abandoned you, mind.
1: The ba- yeah. It's, like, yeah. It must have been such a lonely existence. By age 17, Audrey had had enough and refused to accept an arranged marriage. She went on to meet a Belgian man, Roger Cerise, a company director. He refused to recognise their daughter, Rita, but provided her financial support. Bluin then went on to have a son, René, with a Frenchman, Charles Grootz. Charles adored Rita, Bluin’s daughter from a previous relationship, and recognised his son. The fact, very fact that he reckoned, wow, we're really...
0: He was a stepdad was like, who stepped up. Okay. Have you not seen the T-shirts? <laughs>
1: yeah, I've seen those. I've seen, oh, there's a, there's a couple of people. No, no, let me, let me not get into uh <laughs> Might be, might be, might be calling people out. Let me not do that. <laughs> yeah, let's um, not do that. <laughs> yes. Um, but... You Oh, at least you also recognised his own son. This is not giving yeah. you two... It's your child, I'm sorry. Two people contributed to the kid yeah. coming here. However, after Audrey and Charles got married, racism persisted. Charles didn't allow Audrey's black mother, Josephine, into their home. Audrey wrote that he wouldn't allow black people into his living room, except for domestic staff.
0: Okay, so I adore you. I adore your children and my child but as for your Bob, mom- <laughs> and the only people allowed are just
1: domestic staff that again just shows just how entrenched even with charles we're not yeah. i'm not clapping charles but yeah we're not we're not we're not but we're- you're giving us a little bit of hope for recognizing your own son as well as your stepdaughter
0: but now no it just goes to show how entrenched the the colonialism and racism was that like this man mm. thought it was perfectly fine to you know marry uh you know a mixed heritage woman but as soon as a black person shows up he's like oh you know like
1: no this is too much it's,
0: it's a hard no which yeah. it, it just goes to show like how insidious it is that like, how can you sort of love somebody but not it just doesn't really make any sense
1: and i don't think he I don't know, it just doesn't recognize the contradiction here. Like, no. No. The Renee later became unwell from malaria, and quinine law prevented individuals of African ancestry from receiving appropriate medication. Even after Audrey tried her best to advocate for her toddler son, he was still denied life saving treatment, as the French colonial administration insisted that quinine medication was only for Europeans.
0: And this is wild because Renee would have probably been quite light skinned, seeing as he was the child of a white man and you know a mixed race woman. Mm, yeah. So it doesn't. The fact that they said African ancestry, not not black people, just goes to show that. F- yeah,
1: Africa, really. Yeah. I'm sorry, let's go back to all of you, and then we'll see. We'll, we'll find the one some drop. Afri-
0: yeah, literally mm-hmm. one drop, because it doesn't not to say that i understand if <laughs> you know what i mean like but the fact mm. that they've gone to the lengths of ancestry length, not even yeah. if you are black
1: yeah no I, I see what you mean audrey counts this incident as the point at which she was politicized when she lost her son she finally saw the pattern connecting my own path with that of my countrymen and knew i must act in her words Colonialism was no longer a matter of my own maligned fate, but a system of evil whose tentacles reached into every phase of African life.
0: And also another thing to add about Charles is that he didn't even let Josephine visit her grandson, um, saying she'll rot his flesh. Not the illness, not malaria. Where was his advocating for treatment for his son, please? Mm. His son is dying because of racism and racism has also blocked him from allowing the grandmother to visit her son
1: interesting it didn't even politicize he wasn't like oh yeah, yeah where actually, where's his
0: rage where's his where's outrage his rage? yeah, yeah. baffling yeah. baffling and also josephine was banned from uh, attending the funeral as well so it just again just goes to show how deep and how entrenched colonialism was intertwined with racism um mm. for something such as like quinine a life-saving medication to be banned for those who are actually from the country is just yeah, unspeakable just, to me was only for europe it's just it's only for europe, that it's, of, Yeah, that is apartheid it is africans
1: yeah. as human
0: yeah we're the same yeah Yeah, no it's definitely a form of like you know separate lives and this whole sort of concept of apartheid and how you know people that is literally what it is in the years following her son's death blue activism led her to
1: become an advisor to politicians with her career seeing her counseling befriending and lobbying prominent post-independent leaders of algeria the drc ivory coast guinea and ghana blue experienced the cruelties in the belgian congo and over the river on the French side of the Congo. The extent of racial and gendered violence saw the effects diminish and separate her identity
0: as a daughter, um, an orphanage, and as a mother to her son. Yeah, again, just goes to show that it is sort of the, the rules around colonialism and how that plays out in her country. It's um, basically erased her identity, you know, not just taking away her childhood, but also has taken away some parts of her motherhood as well. Yeah, like she's lost. As a result, she lost mm. a child. Mm. In 1952, Bluant married André Bluant, the name she took on, who worked for a diamond mining company and, in her words, escaped the colonialist mentality. But, <laughs> sorry, I don't really know much about that because this man worked for a diamond mining company in Africa. So, I mean, yeah, has he really escaped the
1: escape the, <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be honest...
1: I feel like based on her previous experiences, this This is know, an improvement. This is more. an improvement. Yeah. You know? And it feels like he's escaped. Yeah. Um, but
0: the bar yes, is still a little
1: bit of a stretch. Yeah. That's, yeah. 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 It's non-existent, but
0: yeah. Bluon's husband ended up posted to a mine in French Guinea. And it was here where she met Sekutore and became involved in the RDA, the Rassemblement Democratique Africaine during the referendum for independence from France. Guinea was the only French territory in Africa that chose independence in 1958, and consequently, they faced the wrath of the French. Bluon was expelled from Guinea by Charles de Gaulle, the French president. A chance meeting in Conakry, Guinea, at the beginning of 1960, saw Bluon overhearing men speaking Lingala, a language she knew from growing up. These men were politicians from the Belgian Congo and wanted to connect with Guinean allies. Antoine Gizenga, leader of the Parti Solidaire Africain, a large political party in Belgian Congo, invited Bluon to work with women in his country. He recalled being surprised, in his words, that a mother of three children, the oldest of whom was already 20 and the youngest four, still had in her the ardent desire to serve the African cause. Although I have to say, why is it a surprise mm-hmm. that a woman wanted to become involved with involved. this?
1: And also considering her story and just how much of an imprint it had at every major stage of her life, mm. it's no surprise at all. But I guess there's also obviously an element here
0: of just sexism as well. Yeah, of course, a sprinkling of sexism. It's It's, uh, it's the norm, unfortunately.
1: Blouin was a gifted speaker and was good at mobilising people. By the end of May 1960, after just one month on the campaign trail, she enrolled 45,000 members in the Feminine Movement of the African Solidarity, the MSSA. The aims of this group was to make all women no matter what age literate, promote an understanding of health and hygiene, combat alcoholism, work for women's rights, work for the protection of the abandoned woman and child, and work for the social progress of the African. The MFSA's political influence grew, with Congolese politicians capitalising on the movement to boost popularity. Bluant saw Congolese women as, in her words, crushed between two pitiless stones, the tribal customs in which they were mere chattel to their men, and the education they received from the missions. Women's schooling was woefully inadequate at the time, with cooking, housekeeping, and
0: needlework being the pillars of education. Bluant's movement, gave weight to a women's crusade it's really interesting the way that she has described the the two pitiless stones um yeah because we had you know the tribal customs which were prone to you know, sexism essentially and then the education received from the missions i.e. colonialism which didn't really help or advance the women's cause either um mm. so this was to provide and we can see as well just the way that colonization was against Bluon just even from the beginning beginning of her life um
1: and she still maintained that motivation to be like it can be different for these women Do you yeah, see what I mean? like, yeah obviously I can imagine how much it must have had for her not to have had those experiences Do you know what I mean like from the beginning yeah. I think we said she was was it need or whatnot yeah or what?
0: sewing basically that's sewing she was she yeah. was yeah that was that was it but
1: actually building the movement the MFSA she was able to actually focus on key areas that mattered for women and making sure that they were you know on an equal footing to men and actually mm. just getting the basics health and hygiene yeah um, yeah antoine Gazenga's party formed a coalition with patrice lumumba after belgian congo gained independence and became the democratic republic of congo Bluin became chief of protocol she became part of patrice lumumba's inner circle with the press calling them team lumumba Bluin. The road following independence wasn't smooth. There was an army mutiny and the mineral-rich province of Katanga was seceded. Lumumba appealed to the Soviet Union for help as UN peacekeeping troops didn't intervene in Katanga. It's really nice to see, you know how I love every time we recognize a woman, but I was not aware of her relationship with Patrice Lumumba and how actually mm. they worked together. And mm. so it's nice to actually see how... Things were—I don't know. It's nice to put things together and how it was like coordinated um, mm. between kind of key figures that we are aware of, and to see that you know Lumumba was supported by a woman. Um,
0: yeah, it's, it's yeah. Like, you know that phrase. I really hate the phrase that talk about oh, behind every strong man is an even struggle. Uh, <laughs> you are really bringing the... <laughs> because I'm sorry, that's what Michelle Obama was just always. About. <laughs> but um. Yeah, it's annoying because they say that, but look how Bluon's been forgotten mm. in the grand scheme of things. Obviously not taking anything away from Lumumba because, you know, what he did was incredible. However, it's just a shame that, you know, Bluon hasn't had, she hasn't been afforded this same legacy. Legacy, yeah. Considering yeah. at the time they put her and Lumumba sort of on the same footing, they were doing, you know, absolute bits for their country, but only one of them was remembered. Yeah. But it's nice. This is why we exist. This is why, yeah, this is why we're here. <laughs> so, this activity gained the attention of the West, particularly as Bluon had a strong anti colonial stance. An American, Herbert Weiss, was fascinated by Bluon, saying, Who is this woman? She's wearing very fine perfumes. She has an air of Paris about her. And how come she speaks fluent Kikongo? So, <laughs> the way she has an air of Paris about an her, does just- <laughs> it? what a ridiculous thing to
1: say wow okay she's wearing fine perfumes why she can't what's hmm? who's who are the only people allowed to wear fine perfumes yeah exactly
0: <laughs> we're not allowed to wear perfumes mm. okay cool. go on
1: her but give up tell her <laughs> <laughs> honestly
0: belgians began spreading word that blue World was a communist trained infiltrator and even a witch when asked if she was a communist blue World's response was let small fools call me what they like I am an African nationalist. I'm glad she came back with that response, to be honest. But the problem is, especially with women, and, you know, once we reach... I was going to say over twenty five is la Simon Cowell, but, you know, I don't <laughs> believe that over 25 is old anymore. Thanks for x for corrupting myself. No, no, no. But Let's just, correct
1: ourselves.
0: Yeah, I'm going to correct myself, because the problem is, once a woman reaches an age, people then start thinking, oh, a witch... Oh, you know what? I mean, like all these sort of things. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's just basically another form of sexism, ageism, and you know how it's compounded um as a woman. The Eisenhower administration was worried about Blouon's supposed communist links. The New York Times referred to Blouon as an advocate of extreme African nationalism. According to a Belgian official, Blouon was a beautiful woman but also a dangerous woman perhaps the most dangerous in all of Africa so again there were just comments about her looks and critics often belittled her achievements claiming that of course she must have slept her way to influence another trope that we see yeah
1: no one actually asking what has she been through what is her story for her yeah. to be such an impactful and driven woman like why does she want to make a difference but oh no she's
0: Oh, she must she's have, beautiful. yeah. She's beautiful.
1: She wears perfume.
0: Yeah. She wears Who is this woman?
1: Who is this woman? There's just, yeah, this narrative that they're trying to create. And it's really not sticking. And as you said, like, it's really good that she is, you know, defending herself. Um, She shouldn't have to. And she's yeah. doing an amazing... Do you see what... And I also think, like, I guess it's the sense of threat, right? That she... Mm places because she's making an actual tangible difference and probably really supporting women in terms of like understanding their rights as well. Mm. And so that also is in conflict with what the colonizers are doing at the time. And yeah, you know, you we were talking like 60s African countries are getting independent. And there's still those <clears throat> colonized <laughs> countries that are struggling to let go. So having yeah. someone who is really about getting women to really mobilizing um, them. Yeah, and yeah. mobilizing them, yeah. It's it's a huge threat at a time mm. where they're having to, you know, leave African nations alone, but really struggling to. So yeah. Mm, mm,
0: mm. A coup organized with the CIA's blessing later that year culminated in Lumumba being overthrown and later murdered. Bruong then became a target and was expelled. When the Congolese opposition took up arms against the country's military dictator, Joseph Mobutu. Blouin became their spokesperson from Algiers, and then Brazzaville, where she was sent on a humanitarian mission by President Ahmed Ben Bella to help children orphaned by the rebellions. In 1973, Blouin
1: divorced and lived in Paris, where she opened her apartment to opposition figures and revolutionaries passing through the city. Blouin was committed to her beliefs to the end, even refusing to denounce Toure of Guinea as he began imprisoning and killing his political opponents.
0: And this is the cycle that we do see with independence uh, movements where, you know, the very same person that brought independence for the country suddenly sort of um, crosses the despot threshold, as it were. But even so, she did refuse to denounce them. So some people criticised her for this. Yeah, which I don't understand why she didn't to that point. Do you know what I mean?
1: Because Mm. all of a sudden... He's just gone on, gone left, yeah. left. like, but I guess it's that maybe potential belief that you know you hope that that person isn't okay. Well, he is imprisoning and killing people. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's quite. Not. Yeah, it's it, yeah. It's let's not beat around the bush. <laughs> <like it's, laughs> <we can't, laughs> you, you know, by the mid 1980s, Bluan became unwell, receiving treatment for lymphoma. She ended up despondent over the oppression that prevailed, despite the so-called end of colonialism. She was depressed and found it difficult to continue making ends meet. She stopped treatment and died on the 9th of April 1986, age 65. André Bluin's figure remains on the periphery of historical narratives that privileges the founding Pan-African Fathers of African independence, not to minimise the contributions of the Kwame Nkrumahs, Thomas Sankara, and Patrice Lumumba, and Julius Nyerere, when was the last time we saw a woman amplified in the same way?
0: Exactly. And that's the thing. I think it's also in the title Founding Forefathers. (laughs) It's it's very clear that it's only men that are highlighted in this capacity. But, you know, we always make an effort to cover uh, women on the show. So, because they're just not recognised in the same breath, unfortunately. Yeah. Even though she moved to Paris
1: she was still very much open to revolutionaries and supporting. And I think that's, yeah, that's just testament to the difference that she wanted to
0: mm.
1: see and be a part of when it when it came to the African continent.
0: No, definitely. It's incredible how she used her really sort of difficult past and upbringing mm. and channeled that, especially through the death of her son, through a racist law. And channel that to the betterment of others, particularly women. So, definitely really admirable.
1: Nice. It's just nice to be able to add another African woman on the list of just, yes, I'm yes. fully aware of Andre Bluon what she. Do you see what I mean? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. A nice feeling. One yeah,
0: vibe. no, it's, it, like, we love to see it. We love to see it. But, yeah, yeah. I like this one. That is a story of Andre Bluon. Uh, thank you for listening. And you can find us on Twitter at It's a Continent, on Instagram at It's a Continent Pod, and also on our website, uh, it's a continent.com. And we also have a book available, also called It's a Continent. It's a (laughs) continent. Why not? Why not? Why not? Consistency. (laughs) Yeah, we are consistent. What can we say? That is available now um, in major retailers, bookstores. Etc. Yeah,
1: so that is us done for this week, and we will see you in two weeks' time.
0: See you then. Bye.
1: Bye.